Withers Talks, Family and Family Office, a podcast series that discusses various topics relating to issues associated with managing, protecting, and enhancing multi-generational family wealth. I'm Ivan Sachs, the global head of Withers Family Office Group, and joining me today is Bill Canvas. Bill is the regional leader and partner in our U.S. private client tax team who focuses on tax planning for multinational and multi-state personal active business and investment interests. He gives a particular emphasis to tax structuring and choice of business entity for U.S. and non-U.S. business owners and investors, and is particularly knowledgeable in the area of family office structuring. Today's podcast will focus on tax-efficient structuring for family offices and the investment benefits that that can derive. Before we begin, please note that anything discussed in this podcast is for informational purposes only, and we are not providing any legal advice. Bill, thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Ivan. So family office, many say it's, you know, what it is. It's in the eye of the beholder. It's many different things to different people. But how would you approach organizing the subject of tax efficiency in the context of the design and structuring of family offices? Well, I would start by recognizing that the family office plays the role of a management entity for the family enterprise. It's not necessarily and oftentimes is not holding the family's investments, but rather offers a service to the broader family enterprise. And what's that the broader family enterprise? What is that as a structure? Each family's enterprise is as unique as the family itself, and it's something that we, we often have to remind our clients of. Often, the family will have a family trust or a series of family trusts, many of which may be dynastic in nature. In addition to the trusts, families will organize portfolio investments or other holdings through one or more consolidation vehicles. These are often like the family limited partnerships that we discuss in the estate planning context and to harness the economic power of a consolidation of assets. The family office would then integrate with those vehicles in different ways, particularly serving as a manager of the family investment partnership. So we know there are a lot of non-tax benefits that families seek from consolidating their investment wealth in those kind of family investment vehicles, and certainly if they have operating business or concentrated investment interests that are uh, part of their legacy, scale of investments, concentration of purchasing power, and other things. When it comes to taxes, how does the family office management vehicle, as you call it, typically relate or potentially provide benefits to these family investment vehicles? It does so by consolidating the activities in one entity and executing them as a business so that with the proper business plan, the family office will both be generating income and managing expenses in a way that's to the overall benefit of the entire enterprise. I think a good illustration of this came about in 2017 with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, though that was by no means the beginning of this discussion because the alternative minimum tax was also an influence from a tax management perspective. And 
when I reference the Tax Cuts and Job Acts, what I mean specifically is the fact that we lost, investors lost, uh, the ability to deduct investment management expenses under what was then known as the Section 212 expenses for investment fees. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act suspended that tax deduction. The family office then and the family investors, without that ability to deduct those investment expenses, had to look for other ways of managing the overall cash flow within the family enterprise. The family office then is, if it's properly run, an active business that would qualify for a different tax deduction that is still relevant and available. And that's the 162 active trader business deduction. If I understand what you're saying, so in a, a normal situation today, an individual family member or family members working collectively in a non-active trader business, they don't get to deduct their investment management expenses or the operating expenses of their family office. But you're saying that if the family office is structured right, it can transform those kinds of expenses into deductible expenses again? Yes, but I don't know that I would say it as transforming, but rather what you're doing is reshaping the way the family organizes and manages its affairs. Under any circumstance, a family does not get to deduct expenses relating to managing their own investments. But a family office, especially the sophisticated ones that hire outside advisors, and key professionals are really operating a business embedded within the family enterprise. As the family office evolves into a bona fide, regular and continuous active business, the expenses become deductible. It's a transformation of sorts, but it's also a memorialization of an active business within the enterprise. Let's talk about what some of the keystones of that approach are and what separates the wheat from the chaff in terms of key components of what makes that a practical opportunity for some family offices, if not others? Well, it's about the investment entity. It's about its activities. The family office can take on the role much like the general partner of a private placement firm. When it takes on that role, its compensation can be derived from sharing in the profits of the family investment partnership. It would operate on a regular and continuous manner with a profit motive, not engaged in managing its own capital. The ownership of that family office as well should be unique and distinct from the overall family investors and investment program. How does that work in practice? You mean if you're a family office that has the senior generation are the owners of the family office, but it serves more family members and trusts, that sort of thing? That's right. It may be senior members of a family, and this gets back to the fact that family enterprises and their family offices are as unique as the families themselves. In 2017, we received an opinion from the U.S. tax court that evaluated a similar structure. That case was called uh, the case of Lender Management LLC versus the Commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service. And in Lender Management, what we saw was, in fact, a single branch of a family, of a broader family, set up a family office, and an heir to the family 
who had a sophisticated investment background took control and ownership of the family office and then served a series of aunts, uncles, cousins, and trusts for the benefit of that same extended family through managing their family partnerships. So there's an example that it wasn't just the senior generation, but actually succession into future generations with the right skill set. The lender bagel case, as people tend to refer to it, since the family was famously uh, the owner of lender bagels, seems to be spoken about quite a bit in family office circles and to have been a focus of much attention. Is that something that you think is available to most family offices, many family offices? How do we have to be careful in considering the consequences of that ruling? To answer the first part of that question, the case is a wonderful memorialization of an arrangement that many tax practitioners believed was available even well before that case. It is available to families where that structure is most appropriate. I call this a private placement or private equity type of structure for a family office. And some family offices, which are predominantly focused on managing portfolio investments, would find a structure similar to what was memorialized and discussed in the Lender Management LLC case would be appropriate. Some families, though, may choose to operate differently, in which case it may not fit exactly right. But the case took what is a highly facts and circumstances analysis and memorialized it into a decision that was taxpayer-friendly, that actually affirmed the validity and tax deductions associated with the structure for the benefit of the taxpayers and the broader family. Well, thanks, Bill. That was a great explanation of what's going on there with the lender case and what's driving people to take such an interest in it. I know we could talk all day, but today we'll have to end there. Thank you, Evan. It's been a pleasure discussing this topic in our Family and Family Office podcast series with you. To all our listeners out there, thanks for joining. And if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to reach out to us at withersworldwide.com backslash family.